This episode is brought to you by Snapple. Want to know another Snapple fact? The first hot air balloon passengers were a sheep, a duck, and a rooster. Ridiculous. Check out Snapple.com to find ridiculously flavored Snapple near you. Welcome to Supernatural Circumstances, the podcast where we take you down the rabbit hole into the fantastic world of the strange, the paranormal, and the unknown. I'm Morgan Knutson. And I am Mike Brown. It's time to dim the lights and settle in. Come along with us on this week's adventure. Wow. So we're going to be talking to Alex Matsuo today. Yeah, and she is such a wealth of knowledge about women in the paranormal, which is kind of our month. <laughs> yeah. You know, which is kind of our month, which is so cool. And, and this case in particular, I thought was... So relevant because mm. very recently we've had the release of the movie The Exorcist, the new Exorcist film, um, and what which I hated. Wait, I have not seen it. I have not seen. Oh it yet. God! Well, let's just say it is not The Exorcist. Oh uh, well, nothing's going to be The Exorcist though. The director needs to be stopped. Oh is God! What I'm going to say, but anyway, yeah. <laughs> but the original was amazing, and that's what we're that's what we're talking about uh, right. today. Um, is is the original and the not just the true story behind the Exorcist film, but the location, which that's fascinating to me because I used to work in locations for film, so I always like a story where there's a location that has a history behind it, especially when it comes to a movie like The Exorcist. And what we're going to talk about today, because that is like, what? Are you kidding? This yeah, is so weird. Like, I, you know, and so many people have visited the Exorcist steps, the famous steps where mm -hmm. Father Karras tumbled down at the end and, and lost his life. And, uh, you know, the, the, the place that used to be there, which was Prospect Cottage, was has this incredible story about this amazing woman by the name of Eden Southworth. And we're going to get into her story and the haunting that is that was there, maybe still is there. Uh, I mean, this is this is so cool. And yet an, again, another woman who has gone by the wayside, you know, that we, we've not heard of. Right. It's interesting how many of these stories there are out there that aren't being told, and especially this one, because this is one of those stories that, um, had I known about it before, I would have talked to other people about it a lot, because it's so fascinating, because I love the movie The Exorcist. And not exorcist believer, <laughs> not. Yeah, I mean, it, well, it was it was such an like, iconic film, and I mean, maybe that's the that's why her story maybe got washed under the bridge a little bit as well is the fact that you know that the this haunting is so vastly different than The Exorcist. Well, there's that, and there's also a lot of noise already about that particular movie. So yeah, let's bring it to the forefront. If we can. Oh, let's do it, because I can't wait to get into this. Alex is the expert, so let's talk to her. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. 
all the must not take yourself too seriously and six one since that matters and what do I even say other than hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all new Bumble with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Okay, well, let's kick into this because I'm excited. I'm so excited to have you, first of all, Alex. That's so great. Oh, thanks. I appreciate that. It has been like something I've been meaning to do for like since we started this show. I'm like, why has this not happened? <laughs> nice. Like, I've got to get you on here. You're such an authority on a lot of this stuff and, and so many different stories. And congratulations on your book. Thank you. Yeah, she wrote a, a book, like uh, Women of the Paranormal. And uh, it's just, it's super cool. Women of the Paranormal, Volume 1. So there's more. I started the project app with 12 names, just 12. Sure. And then it exploded into over 100 names now. So there's definitely going to be a Volume 2, if not a Volume 3. So That's awesome. Yeah. It's nice when you sort of find yourself in a rabbit hole that... Uh, Gives you lots to write about, that's for sure. Yeah, it's definitely it's definitely nice, and I appreciate um, I appreciate the help of all the librarians that I've leveraged uh, <laughs> in the past like couple year and a half. Yeah, year and a half. Um, they they kind of were the reason why this exploded into multiple uh, multiple things. It's like, oh, cool! I have a name for you. Exactly, and then I would look at like co-authors of papers and then i'm mm -hmm. like oh that looks like an interesting name let me look that up oh, okay there's another woman oh snap she did x y and z so yeah it's uh how have i not heard of this person before so yeah <laughs> it's so cool and i mean i think what you're doing is so important we just had on uh, uh allison jornlin uh recently oh nice about, yeah we were talking about uh catherine crow and and that, mm. the the saga of catherine crow and and i, I was going through your work and, and stuff like that and, and looking at, you know, who we could talk about. And of course, first thing that comes up is the, the original story of, of course, The Exorcist, which mm -hmm. most people have seen them. Most people have seen the movie. Uh, but and, and then there's the ones who are too frightened to do it. But most people, most people, I think, in our demographic <laughs> have, have seen the movie. And you wrote a phenomenal piece about the house, the what what they're, what is known as the Exorcist House, which is basically a massive tourist attraction, even though the house is privately owned. Yep, it's got this incredible story, and this isn't the house for just for the audience. This isn't the house that the original exorcism was in. This is the house that was that the movie that we see on the the poster that were you know that that had the stairs that father Karras tumbled down this is the house we're talking about mm -hmm. it's, it's so cool how did this start for you i always had an interest in the exorcist overall um it was one of the first horror movies i had ever watched and well actually no it was it was a really bad werewolf film called bad moon but the exorcist was like the more memorable <laughs> one because yeah that that scared the bejesus out of me so i moved to the dc area in um january of 2022 and uh, someone has sent me a message just to remind me, hey, you know, The Exorcist was filmed in Georgetown, right? And I'm like, uh-uh, <laughs> that's true. 
I live five minutes away from Georgetown. What the heck? So, yeah, actually, literally, before I went to any of, like, the Capitol sites, the White House, Lincoln Memorial, Vietnam War Memorial, um, you know, the National Mall, uh, I went to the Exorcist Steps. Oh, wow. Absolutely. <laughs> like, I had to. I had to. And um, one, they're just as intimidating in person as they are on screen. Um, they are a beast to walk up. I bet. And yeah. they are terrifying to walk down. <laughs> like, so it's actually that steep that it, it's hard to navigate. Absolutely. So, and and here's the thing, like, so it was really hard for me to get pictures initially because we have these superhero rock stars who are working out. They use the stairs as a workout space. So they just go up and down the stairs. That's all they do. And um, I'm like, well, that's goals if I didn't like donuts so much. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, so it's just a steep and um, walking up was a trek. But yeah, I think it was actually worse to walk down them because the angle that they're in when you're going down is really... Uh, it's steep. It's 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 alarming. Like literally, there were times like I was actually holding the rail with both hands, and I'm like, uh, I am like one toe misplacement away from just tumbling down this and pulling a Father Karras. <laughs> I was just gonna say recreating the scene a little bit too closely. Hey, eh? <laughs> yeah. oh no. And the other thing was, I know that they coated the steps with like I think it was like an inch or two of rubber on each step. So because I know he did his own stunt with that, but I'm oh, sitting geez. here, I'm like. I don't know how the heck he did this because they're steep and it hurts. I'm sure even with the rubber and um, yeah, it's, it's uh, it was quite, it was quite the experience. And then of course I had to walk up all the way to all the way up the stairs. And then lo and behold, there's the house right there. Um, and it's, it's just chilling. It's just right there, you know, and the gate is open. Um, you can, you can walk right by it. You can, um, you could take your picture in front of it. I have not seen the owners yet, um, and I've been there quite a few times, but I've heard that the owners are actually pretty cool. Like, they'll even help take pictures, but um, I don't go near the house. At least I don't cross the sidewalk, um, and I don't really take pictures unless I'm on the other side of the intersection because I don't want to be that person, you know? <laughs> I'm looking at a picture of you on your website laying face down below the <laughs> stairs. <laughs> You're a girl after my own heart. I would be doing the exact same, <laughs> same thing. Oh my gosh. It, it's so cool. There were so many creators at the steps. Every time I go, there's always a creator there. And they're always like, nothing against them, but they're always posing like, like on, on the railing and looking really adorable and cute and looking fabulous. And I was just like, you know what? I'm going to do something different. <laughs> oh, you did it right. <laughs> you absolutely did it right. So the the this was once the location of a little cottage called prospect cottage right who was who was this owned by prospect cottage quite the mystery surrounding it so yeah i love this story like this has got me having so many questions i'm excited so yeah and i kind of fell into the story by accident so i'm not sure i haven't been able to find who built it and it's not even known like when this was built either um all i got from a new from a newspaper article I'm trying to remember uh, that it wasn't Washington. It was the Washington Post. It was, no, it was the record union out of Sacramento. <laughs> you know, I have my notes right here. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but 
but we do know that it may have been owned by a French minister, a former French minister. Um, and yeah, not sure exactly when it was built. Um, but then after that, at some point, this really amazing woman that I wish I knew more about, um, her name was Eden Southworth, and she was possibly one of the most successful, um, highest paid authors of her day, um, cool. which is really kind of unheard of. I mean, her, her origin story is amazing. Um, but yeah, so she ended up moving into Prospect Cottage and, uh, it seems for a time she did not leave even after death. Oh dear. It, this is so interesting, Mike. Like her, it, first of all, this, this lady, like you were saying, Alex, she wrote over 60 novels in her career and it was all, it was all women and heroines who were really trying to break out of the box, which I think is so, so significant for this story <laughs> because, uh -huh. she, because she really did. And she was a really big supporter of everything from women's rights to, you know, all of those different things. And it, like, to me, her story is, is really interesting. And it's fitting to me how this kind of plays out after a little while. Yep. Yep. And uh, she was a contemporary and a friend of Harriet Beecher Stowe, too. Mm -hmm. That's fascinating. So Eden, she ended up getting married at like 21, but she was a school teacher. It was like by the age of 16. Yeah, yeah. So her mother died when she was fairly young. Um, and then her father remarried and she was not a big fan of her stepmother. Or, or no, it was her father that passed. Her mother um, her mother married a teacher. His name is Joshua Henshaw and um, got that reversed. But yeah, so Eden was not a big fan of her stepfather, but um, mm. it seemed that she kind of expedited her education uh, so that she could be independent a little quicker. So by the time she was 15, she was already done with her education. And then she started um, teaching at 16. Jeez, like it just... So many of the women of of that time period, and like as Mike and I have noticed this as we've been delving into this side of it, there's so many really smart, smart mm -hmm. women, and so many of them get into the literature side of things. Like, and their works, it's not like they're unknown works. Their works are profound, and they've been extremely popular. Like, it's so strange to me that a lot of these names just go missing. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And uh, so she was a teacher at 16. Um, she actually got married at 21. So at that time in 1840, that was a bit later in life. Oh, you're an old maid by 21. Yeah. <laughs> right. Um, and she married uh, an inventor. His name was Frederick Southworth. Um, he was from New York. Uh, then the couple moved to Wisconsin. So you go from, you know, Georgetown and uh, New York to Wisconsin. Um, so they were living on the frontier um, and Eden was not a fan. <laughs> she was like, nope, this isn't what I signed up for. Um, Fair enough. She ended up having two children with Frederick. And then um, Frederick actually abandoned her and the kids to search for gold in South America. Oh, Frederick. You know, got to go find those big dreams, um, you know, in South America. And so she actually went back to D.C., Washington, D.C., um, in 1844 uh, without him. So, you know, that probably stirred up some gossip there too um but she went back to teaching so she went back to what she knew and uh she was earning about 250 dollars per year as a teacher so um 
and this was and this was 1844 so you know inflation is a thing um but yeah so but still not not making enough to you know support two young children and being a single mother so yeah yeah so she um so she started writing to supplement her income um she submitted stories to magazines um she caught the attention of the editor editor yes of the national era um and they really wanted to give her a contract for a novel and then um as a uh, you know as morgan said this kind of escalated into 60 novels you know in her career and she was making an annual salary of ten thousand dollars so she was able to quit teaching she was able to quit teaching and uh write full time just amazing amazing women we stand on the shoulders of it's, re it's really cool um, so around 1853, 1860s, somewhere in there, she ends up moving into Prospect Cottage, mm -hmm. where The Exorcist steps and the house is now. Yep. And it's, it, like you were saying, they, they're not too sure when it was built uh, and whatnot. But so what what was her, her life like in Prospect Cottage? Because this was like, basically, as you described it, a little gingerbread house, essentially. You know, for the time, it was quite a nice establishment. It was a beautiful house. Um, and yeah, it, it really did. I mean, if you look up the pictures, I mean, there's so many historic photos mm -hmm. of Prospect Cottage. And I'll, I'll go into a little bit later why that's kind of ironic. But um, yeah, there's so many pictures. And um she lived so for those of you who have not ever been to georgetown or not familiar with the landscape of it so virginia you know virginia is on the other side of the potomac river and there is a bridge there um basically at the end of that bridge is the exorcist steps so you can and, and the exorcist house uh so you can stand at the top of the exorcist steps and look across the river to virginia um so what eden's life was like um well there was a big thing that happened uh, in the 1860s that you may have heard of, um, the Civil War. Oh, there's that. Yeah, there's that. So she was literally living at the gate of the North, like literally right there. Like, um, so uh, the on the other side of the bridge, you know, where Virginia is, about half a mile away is Arlington National Cemetery. And Arlington National Cemetery used to be the home of Robert E. Lee. So she was right there. Um, so sadly, it doesn't seem that she was really able to enjoy her home um, in the in the early parts of it. Because, you know, even around the 1850s, there was there was already tension building about, um, you know, the issues of slavery and North versus South. And uh, this was already brewing, so to speak. Um so Eden actually ended up living in the house for majority of the Civil War. Um, and she was, a, you know, a, I mean, if it, she was a very active supporter of the Union. Um, so, yeah, but she could literally see the Confederacy from her house. Like, it was right there. <laughs> wow. Talk about being a part of history, hey? Well, yeah, right. Um, so when major battles were happening, especially, um, I think the one that really was, that ended up being concerning was the Battle of Antietam which was it Antietam? It was, it was one of the major battles. Um, actually, no, it was a Virginia, it was a Virginia based battle. I think it was the one that took place around Fredericksburg. Um, but basically the, the Confederacy won this certain, this particular battle 
wish I could remember the name of it. If Michelle Hamilton is listening, I'm sorry, um, my historian <laughs> friend. Um, so essentially what happened was the D.C., the North, was becoming very concerned that, okay, the conf- it was Bull Run. Um, so Bull Run, which is in Manassas, it's about 40 minutes away from me driving. So we're talking like a day's, a day's worth of travel on foot, probably. Um, so when the Confederates won that battle, they were, they were on their way to D.C., this was a common thing that would happen, um, especially during those times when the Confederacy was doing pretty well during the Civil War. And uh, again, Eden is right there. Um, she's right there. Uh, if the Confederates were going to cross from Virginia into uh, D.C., they would be going right by her house. Holy. And she had and this is this is to me where things kind of start for her and where things become a little bit on the supernatural side she had an incident and it was during the battle of bull run where she was barricaded in her house and something really interesting happened yes yeah so talk about this because this is i this really gave me goosebumps so this one gave me goosebumps as well so you know after the second battle of bull run um confederates were on their way very scary. Um, Eden knew that her house would be probably stop number one and would probably be taken over by the Confederates, either as a hospital or as a meeting place. Mm-hmm. Um, she she knew that this was coming. And then she stood by the door and, you know, she still had her, um, you know, her, her kids, they were a bit older at this point, but she stood by the door and she said, there's only three of us here. What are we going to do if the Confederates come? And this voice in the darkness responded and said, there are four of you here and you will be fine. Oh, dear. Oh, amazing. It just gives me chills. Yeah, and it turns out Eden, her children, and their house was fine. I mean, that the voice was telling the truth. Me, As soon as I, I read that from, from your page, what it reminded me of was that connection with non-physical and just how important it is, um, you know, if that's what that was, you know, and it's... Mm-hmm. It's amazing, but it's it's definitely not the end of her story either. And it, she ends up selling the house eventually, right? She ends up, she's like, okay, I'm done. And she ends up selling it. Uh, she actually ended up passing away in the house. Um, oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. So uh, what's really interesting was, um, so the exorcist, the exorcist steps were actually being constructed while she was alive. Oh, so oh, that's how old these steps are. <laughs> um, so they were actually built for um, an, a place called Union Station. Today it's known mm-hmm. as the Car Barn. Um, but Georgetown had a streetcar system and Union Station was um, where yeah, that was a stop. You know, that was a stop. And that was also where the streetcars were being constructed. Um, again, uh, maybe 50, 100 feet away from where Prospect Cottage was. Um so she passed away in 1899 and oh. she was buried in Oak Hill Cemetery. So just up the hill from that area. Um, her son inherited the house and he lived there until he passed away a year later, which is a little odd. But um, and then her daughter, Charlotte, inherited the house, but she wasn't interested in keeping it. So she ended up selling it. Um, the house changed hands a few more times and then. Prospect Cottage then became an ice cream parlor. <laughs> I'm looking at the storefront here in the photo on your site, and it's really cool looking place now. You know, right, with the co- right. The Coca Cola sign and get your ice cream here. 
Yep, yep. And um, if you're looking at the photo where the fence is on the far left, that's basically where the steps are. Um, and then that's, and it's it's really literally on a hill. So if you were to stand on the patio in the far left, I mean, you would see the river and you would see everything. Um, so it became a ice cream parlor with a sitting room. There was a drawing room. Um, they sold live bait because, you know, the river's right there. Cigars, right. tobacco, lunches, ice cream. Um, you know, again, there was a streetcar stop right there. So there was a very popular spark spot for people to sit and wait um, mm -hmm. for the streetcars. Um, it, it pretty much kind of became a tourist trap because at this point, too, Eden did have quite the legacy. Um, so it was like, oh, this is Eden Southward's house. Um, so people would take, like, catch bugs and tell people it was from her house um they would rip oh, off the geez. wood as souvenirs oh yeah it was a hot mess oh. <laughs> it was a hot mess wow <laughs> oh my well nothing's changed it seems <laughs> no no i mean the fact they were catching bugs and i think they were also taking the plants too so it was one of those oh, like geez. yeah yeah fun times but eden is still reported to be visiting Prospect Cottage. And this is the, the coolest thing to me because, you know, when we think about the case of, of The Exorcist and the original, the original actual case and the movie, you've got this terrifying, you know, people throwing up in theaters, haunting. And that's not what's here. Here in this particular place, we've got a really positive, joyful haunting. Yep. Which is, I think, so surprising when... For I think for a lot of people in our audience that are probably thinking right now, okay, the, when is this going to turn terrible? Well, <laughs> it it just turns amazing to me. Mm -hmm. What's been going on with Eden and this home? There was a story in the Washington Post from 1905. Um, so we're talking about six years after she had passed away. And uh, mm. this reporter must have caught wind about some of the local stories because, you know, people talk. Um, but there was, uh, he actually interviewed people uh, about you know, Eden Southworth being spotted at the house. And um, when she was spotted, she was very joyful, very happy to see people. And it's like, oh, come sit down in the parlor, you know, very like, you know, very welcoming. And um, it, it, I mean, it became a thing. So this um, article that was um, that was posted in the Washington Post, uh, it just does tell the story. And I thought this was funny. I guess one of the first instances that happened was, there was um, an Italian grocer who had his cart. You know, he had his little cart with like, you know, different things to eat and everything. And this was probably before, I'm thinking this is before the parlor, the ice cream parlor was established. Right. Um, so he's got his cart. He's sitting up in front of Prospect Cottage and he's getting ready for the day. And then um, he sees Eden coming out and saying hello to him. And, uh, but at this point he knew that she had been dead for a couple of years now. So... <laughs> Uh, he, uh, he didn't even wait to see what she was going to say to him. Uh, he ran and he left his cart in front of the house. Oh, poor guy. He was just like, nope. <laughs> he noped right out of there. <laughs> it's, it's just, it's, um, it's so interesting to me, like how interactive she is with people mm. that seem to be coming around there. I like, I think that is so cool. Like, it's not... 
it, it's not just a simple, you know, well, people have seen her apparition or something like that. It's like, no, no, she is legitimately interacting with people that are coming to the house. I think that's amazing. Oh, yeah. I mean, she was coming in and talking to people, inviting them inside. And uh, she was even seen by people like standing outside of the house. Um, she was seen like in the window at night, looking out onto the streets. A um, lot of reports of her walking around the edges of the veranda and wringing her hands. Uh, she was very much still an active participant. And um, from what I read in these newspaper articles, it's not like she was like a see-through apparition or a wispy ghost. It seemed that she was just as real as, you know, you and I, you know, standing in the same, sitting in the same room together. Um, yeah, and uh, it, it became quite a thing. I mean, and it was enough for people to uh, talk about it and catch the attention of the Washington Post of all of all publications. This is, I think, the, the type of story that needs to be told a lot more. Uh, and Mike, you and I, we've talked about this so many times where so many of the nasty, horrible, terrifying things get picked out of, <laughs> of, of the stories and the media. And you know what I mean? Yeah, it, it's like uh, if, it's, if it doesn't scare the pants off you, somehow the media doesn't want to, you know, tell the story again. But I find some of these more interactive playful ghost stories way more interesting i don't need to be scared i'm i'm more interested in oh well that's kind of cool right it's like oh i could go meet eden southworth even though she passed away in 1899 you know exactly <laughs> you mentioned the hand wringing and i'm wondering if that could be residual energy left over from the time when she was awaiting the confederates you know yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. So it's just fascinating. It was just such an interesting story to run into. And uh, and literally, it just kind of came from a curiosity of, okay, this house was built, you know, in the 1950s, the Exorcist house as we know it. But I'm like, what was here before? Because this is an amazing view. <laughs> you know, yeah. I'm like, this is a great view. And um, it would make sense uh, given where it is if there was a house here. So I just did some digging and then I ran into, you know, these... Because I just looked up the address and the intersections because, you know, times change. Um, yeah. And I and, uh, you know, I ran I ran into um, this really delightful, delightful, um, delightful story. And I'm like, well, this is cool because, you know, the, that that house is as far as we know, isn't reported to be haunted. But it does have a stigma, you know, attached to it with, you know, the exorcist. Sure. But there's an actual story here that exists and a lot of people don't know about it and it makes you wonder too like with the filming of the movie and and things like that because there was so many strange things that happened on set and things that happened around it makes you wonder like was there a bit of a connection there as well you know some of the, the odd things that were going on this is where i find it ironic that this house was so well documented but um georgetown in the 40s man i have a, i need to have a word with their count their town council <laughs> their board of directors because um basically this house ended up getting torn down in the 40s mm. and uh i was not happy to read that i mean i knew the house wasn't there anymore but just to find yeah. out that it was you know it was torn down because basically they didn't know really what to do with it a woman's society a woman's historical society did try to save it and use it um, but it there really wasn't much hope for it, unfortunately. Um, the the um, Francis Scott Key house, literally just down the steps from, you know, Eden's house, um, also suffered suffered a similar fate. Uh, 
the town of Georgetown thought that it was an eyesore. Oh, boy. So they tore down the Francis Scott Key House uh, in 1947. Oh, geez. Oh, yeah. And then they had stored the lumber and the bricks in hopes, in, in anticipation of reconstructing it and maybe putting it someplace else. But somehow those building supplies got lost. Oh, boy. They don't know what happened to them. So... Um, there's a, so I have a, so I have a couple issues with the Georgetown, um, town council a little bit, but, um, but after the house got torn down, it seems that Eden disappeared as well. Um, maybe she decided to move on. I mean, that would make sense. I mean, if her house wasn't there anymore, she'd be like, all right, bye. Um, and she didn't, is she, from reading the, the stories about her, she doesn't come across as like a malevolent spirit or a vengeful Not spirit. All. So it's almost like once her house was torn down, she was like, okay, bye. And it really speaks to, to the legitimacy, I think, of the phenomenon as well. The fact that, you know, once that house was gone, you know, there wasn't a, a you know, bunch of people that had moved into the house and said, oh, you know, we've seen her, we've seen this, we've seen that, you know, and they, nobody tried to capitalize on this, which to me really lends the legitimacy of the original encounters. But you bring up an interesting point, you know, all the weird things that may have happened around the filming was this Eden, like, having some fun and, mm-hmm. you know, do a little bit of missing. Yeah, like, I, I just... I can't help but think that she, a she was probably aware that you know this this was being used this site was was being used for the, for the movie, and just the, her her playful nature and her wanting to interact kind of makes me wonder you know I, I how much she was plugged into what was going on mm-hmm. when they were doing the filming in a, in a positive way not a negative way. She seemed to be a very positive and delightful presence. Um, how nice would it be to get some ice cream and sit down and have a chat with a ghost, you know? That would be awesome. Phenomenal. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and people are so, when they when they think of ghosts, I think in the West especially, people are so conditioned to be so terrified of these things. And, <laughs> and then you go overseas and most of the time that's not the case at all. They've got a completely different outlook on spirits and being connected to loved ones and, and so on and so forth. And I wish we had that back. And yep. this story is such a, it's such a testament to what it could be if we could just let go of the fear side of this and actually engage this in a way that was productive. And because I'm really a big believer in the fact that these intelligences, these entities, it's there for us to access if mm-hmm. if we allow it. You know, I studied abroad in England for a year, very long time ago. And uh, I had a ghost in my dorm. And uh, when I talked to the porter about it, he was like, oh, yeah, that's Joshua. And I'm like, <laughs> of course, oh, it is. <laughs> OK. He's oh. like, yeah, he won't he won't hurt you. Just, you know, just when you come in late, just let him know. Just apologize and go to bed. I'm like, OK. <laughs> or even like, you know, when you're buying a house over there, because I have a couple friends who live abroad now, um, you know, they were told like, oh, yeah, this comes with the spirit of an old woman. Um you know, she really enjoys chamomile tea in the evening. So if you want to brew her a cup, you know, she'll be quiet in the evening at night. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> cool. Great. <laughs> great. I, I love it. I just love it. Like, I remember back in uh, uh, when I used to live you know, on the south side of, of Edmonton and uh, my, my family and I, we had a continuous haunting. We don't know who it was. Uh, but it was in this this apartment that we were we were living in, and I remember one specific incident 
that was was so neat my mom had been outside trying to hang up a, a birdhouse we had this huge tree outside our, our front patio and uh she was trying to get the nail in and she realized oh i need a stepladder i can't reach that high and so she left like the nail and the hammer and the birdhouse by the base of this tree she walks in and very briefly like literally long enough to open the storage cupboard pick up the stepladder and come back to the tree which is like literally a matter of a minute if not less and the birdhouse was hung and yeah and it was the coolest thing i mean we were all so excited we were really really happy about this and and whatnot but it was just this really lovely moment of of connection and cooperation and whatnot and just enough magic in there that you couldn't explain it and to me it was just it, it was such a great moment and I, I love these types of stories because they bring that magic right back. Like it just, it, it fills me with that magic again. And it's, it's so, it's so cool. So to hear about this in, in juxtaposition with such a violent case that was featured in the movie. Mm-hmm. The true story behind the exorcist is, is horrifying. Um, Terrible. Yeah. 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 It's, it's, uh, you know, I did make some content about that story a couple of years ago and I had to take a break. Um, I, I had to take it. a break a little bit. Um, so it's just, you're right. It's a bit, it's, it's a bit, um, yeah, it's a juxtaposition. That's, I don't even want to say it's ironic. You're right. It's a juxtaposition between like this, this house was used for the, as far as I know, the exterior shots for the exorcist. Um, you know, so it kind of garnered this spooky reputation just from the association with the movie. But then it's like, you have this really lovely, you know, Victorian author who liked to talk to you while you're eating ice cream. <laughs> <laughs> it's 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 so cool. I know uh, the the interior shots for The Exorcist were done on a, a soundstage. Mm-hmm. And that was, by the way, I'm one of the weirder things ready. that happened on the set. They took, a, it was like a year or more to build the inside of this, this house. And I actually, I recently listened to Linda Blair talking about what happened with this. And it was so strange because they took about a year to build this, this soundstage. And of course, with all the rigs for the bed and all the things that move and, you know, bed shaking and all this stuff. And William Friedkin in the middle of the night, one night gets a phone call from one of his set guys. And is like, you have to get down here right now. This thing has burned to the ground. And he comes running back, like running back to set this thing was cooked like beginning to it was a pile of ashes and there was no explanation as to why this damn thing caught fire it was Mm. just it was done and then they had to spend another like six to eight months rebuilding it again so it was so that was one of the weird things but it was thankfully not this house Mm, yeah there's so many weird things about that movie in particular its association with a serial killer or suspected serial killer yes yes paul bateson so creepy yeah, yeah like, that one is freaky. <laughs> like, I mean, he's yeah. he's in the scene where Reagan is, I believe, getting x-rays or spinal tap. I can't remember mm-hmm. which exactly. It was like but, an MRI or something, I think. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, um, yeah. Oof, I mean, that scene. He went on to be uh, accused of and convicted of one murder and was also suspected of uh, murdering at least six other gay men in the... the- uh, New York oh, yeah, area, and then dismembering them and dumping them into the Hudson River, you know? And it was uh, actually his case that um, William Friedkin learned him, about yeah, afterward that inspired that him to go ahead and make the movie Cruising with Al Pacino. So it's it's like 
it, it, this whole story around this film is so bizarre and there's so much weird coinky dinks you know <laughs> like right like this what you've dug up the fact that there was an actual ghost that lived on that site at one point or that yeah that haunted that site. I shouldn't say they lived, but you, you know what I mean? Well, I mean, both things. Yeah, <laughs> yeah <both>. sure, sure. <laughs> yeah, it, it's so it's so fascinating that like the whole story and for those who are listening that don't know the the, the original story of, of the, the exorcist, it was actually based on the exorcism in 1949 of a 14-year-old boy uh, that was named nicknamed Roland Doe for a really long time, but his actual name was Ronald Hunkler. And he ended up to be a NASA engineer of all things. And uh, he, uh, he started off basically with this, this idea that he was talking to an aunt that he was really close to that he called aunt Tilly. And she was a spiritualist, but his family was super duper religious. And he, she, when she passed away, he believed that, he was still talking to Aunt Tilly, but it it eventually turned out that they believed that, no, 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 this was some kind of horrible entity. And then when the doctors evaluated him at Georgetown uh, University, they said, well, no, nothing was wrong. It's all psychiatric and whatnot. And then lo and behold, all of this crazy, crazy stuff, stuff starts happening around him. Things start moving and flying and whatnot. And J.B. Ryan, Joseph Banks Ryan from the Ryan Institute in Parapsychology, was one of the people involved in trying to figure out what was going on with him. Mm-hmm. So it was so yes, strange. So I, I had I, I, in my, I did a show in uh, September. Uh, I do a live show called uh, Ritual. And uh, this case is in the, the live show. And I, there's a great piece of video from a fellow by the name of Thomas Allen who wrote a book on this. And he ended up with the original diaries from Father William Bowdern, who was the exorcist, and Walter Halloran. And he ended up with the original diaries or a copy of them and wrote about them in this book. And they're absolutely terrifying. Like the the stuff that's described in these things, everything from like you know, this, the, the crazy voices to the languages that, you know, the, the kid that shouldn't have known all of the, like, it was crazy. So what's your take on it, Alex? I have to say this particular case is the one that has me scratching my head. Um, it's not like with the story of Annalise Michael or Annalise Michelle, depending on, you know, who, who mm-hmm. you ask, um, where it's more than likely that this was more, it was a sad case of mental illness. Um, but this particular case has always really boggled my mind because um, it was very well documented. Um, and the, also the fact that he, that Ronald was able to stay under the radar until he passed away is also incredible, by the way. Totally. Because, um, I mean, when the exorcist, I mean, when the book, The Exorcist came out, like he had to have known, <laughs> like had yeah. to, um, same thing with the movie. Um, mm-hmm. You know, he had to have, he had to have known and he would have been, very much an adult by then because this was yeah he was 1949 he was 14 the movie came out 1973 oh yeah he was an adult um so and i know i know that he reportedly didn't remember it but you know it just makes me wonder uh you know how much was the hunkler family aware of this and i mean the it's a well-documented case. I've read Thomas um, Thomas Allen's book. I've also read Troy Taylor's book on the subject. And uh, yeah, it's it's not even a case of 
mental illness really for me. It's like something something definitely happened. Um, not quite sure what, but yeah, I mean, given how well documented this case was, um, yeah, this is the one that has me scratching my head. And um, really, we won't ever really know because we weren't there. But also the way that all of the priests um, met their end was very odd, too. Um, yes. If I remember correctly, they all had like, was it heart issues? I'm trying to remember. Um, they they all had, yeah, they all had some very odd. Um, they also had some really they 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 just exited their life in a very weird way. But yeah, I think it was like one was I think a, a lot of it was um, heart related, if I remember correctly. Um, just like in the film, right? mm -hmm. like, you know, just like in the film. Yeah, I know in the uh, diaries they talked about coat hangers flying out of the closet an entire kitchen table flipped over at one point uh he ended up ripping a spring out of the bed and attacked the the, the priests like i mean it mm -hmm. was so crazy violent and you know the fact that there was a medical community involved i think to me adds to the the validity of of what was going on because they were like we don't know what this is mm -hmm. yep yeah um yeah there was uh, medical intervention um I mean, in Georgetown University, you know, in their medical center, they they don't skip steps. I mean, right? Yeah, yeah, they don't they don't skip steps. The exorcism, or half of it, actually took place at the Alexian Brothers Hospital in St. Yep. Louis. And so, I mean, here you've you've now got two medical facilities that are going. We don't know what's going on. And by the way, we need an exorcist. <laughs> like that's right. that's pretty significant. Yep. Yep. I think there's definitely something to it. Um, I know in some of the retellings, there is some inconsistencies, like some sources have him in Cottage City, Maryland. Um, but then there's another one that he was in Mount Rainier, Maryland, um, which I mean, that, I'll be honest, they're not terribly far apart from each other. I think I want to say Cottage City is only maybe, yeah, they're like five or so minutes away. So really, it's just a debate of like county lines and state lines and that sort of thing not it's not a huge to me it's that's not a huge inconsistency there um but his age was a bit um up in the air but at the same time you know it's a, probably trying to protect his identity so i i i get it um yeah so but the exorcists well the big exorcism that we know of you know takes place you know it happened in st louis um but yeah, it was just kind of bizarre that all this stuff happened all, all in Mar Maryland and Georgetown. I mean, that area is weird anyway, so. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, you know, it makes me wonder, too, if, if you know, all of these different places where they kind of reported him to be at, maybe it could have been a situation, you know, like in the film where she was taking, you know, her child to multiple places saying, Yo, mm -hmm. can you help him? Can you help him? Can you? So maybe he was at these other spots as well. And they just yeah. said, we don't know what this is. Well, yeah, this, quite possible. This, this has been absolutely phenomenal and fascinating and so interesting. And I know for a fact there are, I think everybody here has learned something new, except for mm -hmm. Alex, because you knew the whole yeah. story. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but, you know, I, I think these little secrets about these places are mm -hmm. so, they're so enduring, Mike, right? I'm so glad that we're learning new things. Like, I just love that you, you had the wherewithal to go digging and what you came up with was so great. So thanks for sharing that with us. 
Thank you. Um, yeah, it just really just came from an area of curiosity, and mm. um, I love I love history. I love history, and um, and I already had known about the Francis Scott Key House, so I think a part of it was also what other historic treasure did they tear down? Yeah. <laughs> totally. Yeah. Well, where can people pick up your talk about your book? Where can they pick it up and talk about the spooky stuff? Because I highly encourage everybody go read Alex's blog. It's it's really good. There's so much seriously amazing information in there. So Alex, tell them where they can go. Yeah, yeah. So you can check out my blog at alexmatsuo.com. Um, you can also go to the spookystuff.com. It all goes to the same place. And um, my latest book is Women of the Paranormal. Uh, in that book, I feature 38 women of paranormal history who made significant contributions to the field, and we often don't know their names. Um, so this this book is uh, boosting visibility of these amazing women. Uh, and I have other books as well about haunted places, personal experiences, and all that good stuff. Um, I'm on TikTok, Instagram, uh, Facebook. Technically, I'm still on Twitter, X. Um, I'm not Whatever using it a lot is. now. Yeah, yeah. Whatever is that dumpster <laughs> fire is. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know? Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm easily accessible. Um, yeah, feel free to reach out and check out, check out my stuff. Awesome. Thank you, Alex. <laughs> Thank you. Holy smokes, I learned a bunch of stuff that I had no clue about in this episode. As always. Yeah. <laughs> that's, just, that's what we well, do here. <laughs> yeah, I am the local dum-dum, I guess. <laughs> but but it's true, though. I mean, I, I had no idea about, uh, you know, about this case. And, and what's so great about it is that it's not what people expect. You know, when we think about The Exorcist, we think about this, this you know, violent haunting. And even the case that it was based from was horrific like it was, it was mm -hmm. something right out of a, an actual horror movie it you know it right. was it was so terrible and then you've got this incredible haunting of eden with this this property and you know her her experience when she was you know trapped during the war and these you know she heard that voice say no 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 you're going to be okay and uh, yeah. just such phenomenal phenomenal stories which i think is such a a good representation of the majority of this phenomena but um it's i i love it i love it all of it yeah me too the more we we delve into this stuff the overarching message that we've been getting from day 1 has been you know we're we're not alone and the light absolutely dominates the dark in this field even though it's oftentimes misrepresented um and i feel like eden's story is is such a great a great example of that even down to her you know one of the last sightings of of eden where you know this italian grocer he set up his cart in front of the cottage and lo and behold who came who comes out to talk to him but but eden and of course mm -hmm. it scares the living bejesus out of him because he's going all like you know i'm, I'm seeing a ghost but you know yeah. what a what a wonderful thing that that that's that world is is so accessible and she's just a, such a brilliant reminder of that it's just crazy how uh we seem to be finding a lot of more positive stories relating to the paranormal i'm, sh I'm sure you're looking for them and but they seem to be coming to us which is really fascinating well yeah and i, I think they are they are the predominant story 
Mm-hmm. You know, when you really dig into the real life stuff, mm-hmm. this is the predominant story. I think what people are afraid of is it's the unknown. It's like, 100%. well, we don't know what happens to us after we die. We don't know, you know, what our consciousness even is, really. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so what these things tend to scare us uh, when we first have a look at them, but... Oftentimes, they're not quite as scary as they appear to be. Yeah, and I I think you just hit the nail on the head with that, where this, so much of this is perspective. And when you're you're not, when you're not accustomed to or expecting, you know, to see somebody who's, who's passed away, I mean, it is, it is shocking. But I think how, how we frame this in our heads is such a big deal. And, and throughout all my studies over the years, uh, you know, you can see that this reflected in various different cultures. Like, um, I in my book Teaching the Living, I reference uh, something called the Blue Zones, and uh, mm-hmm. the Blue Zones for everybody who's listening is were were designated by a, a journalist uh, who worked for National Geographic, and there's they're the happiest places in the world. And what's so interesting about the Blue Zones is that each one has a very different grasp of spirituality. And in many of those places, spirituality and interaction with non-physical, it's very positive. Like the way they frame it is very, very positive. So the fear isn't the same as it is necessarily in the West, because there's not many blue zones in the West, Um, but they they frame it differently. And you don't get that high levels of, of, you know, fear and terror and, oh my God, you know, these things are to kill me and and whatever. And uh, so, so I think it really is our own work and like how how we reframe it for ourselves um, and how how we kind of look at this relationship that we all have with, with non-physical. Awesome. And thank you for joining us on this eerie expedition, dear listeners. And remember the line between the natural and the supernatural is often a thin one until next time. Stay curious friends. Supernatural Circumstances is a co-production of Entity Seeker Paranormal Research and Teachings and Good Egg Studios. This podcast is part of the Curious Cast Podcast Network. Theme music by Corey Johnson of Catalyst Records in Edmonton, Alberta. You can learn more about Morgan Knudsen at EntitySeeker.ca and learn more about me, Mike Brown, and listen to my show, Dark Poutine, at darkpoutine.com. Feel free to email the show at supernaturalcircumstances at gmail.com.